Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, Vicky Luck interviews Jonathan Cornejo and Camille Santoma Donaldson about the Charity So White campaign. They talk about how this campaign is calling out institutional racism in the charity sector and what this means for black, Asian, minority ethnic people in the sector and the work that the sector aims to do. This is a vitally important issue, so without any further preamble from me, here is Vicky Luck speaking to Jonathan Cornejo and Camille St. Omer Donaldson about the charity So White campaign. Here we go. Yeah, so I'm uh, John Cornejo. I work, um, I'm a campaign manager at Save the Children at the moment. Um, have um, been a campaigner in the charity sector for a while. And I think just being in particularly big NGOs, um, there's a, like, these places are unbearably white sometimes. So I think there's like always groups of BME people in these big organizations that kind of mobilizing and having conversations around diversity, around race, around inclusion, and all of these sort of different aspects and the microaggressions and the day-to-day things that uh, impact us. Um, but it can be quite lonely and I think um, sometimes when you really focus on that internal space it can feel uh, certainly for me it did feel that like you're having this fight on your own so I think when I saw the charity so white hashtag uh, blowing up on Twitter six months ago um, it was just really great to see and sort of that sort of moment of like you know you are not alone (laughs) all these other all these other like people of color around the sector are having the same fights that you are which is both humbling and sort of great but also quite depressing so I think yeah. there was that yeah. moment of realization where I uh, sort of got in touch and followed, started following the campaign. And when there was a recruitment um, sort of opening for the um, committee and they were starting to think about planning uh, moving forward, I jumped at the chance and uh, joined in about um, October last year. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, in Charity So White, I guess my role as everyone else is we're all organizers. Uh, so we all kind of uh, get stuck in. Um, there's no real sort of defined hierarchies or sort of this person does this. Um, we all do what interests us, um, what we can sort of um, use the knowledge and experience that we have in terms of driving the work forward. Um, and we all do the admin as well, <laughs> to share the work. <laughs> <laughs> and how about you, Camille? How did you get involved? Uh, so yeah, I'm Camille St. Namer Donaldson. Um, I work in fundraising. I have been doing so for gosh, over seven years now, so a little while. And I think similar to um, John in the sense that in my current organisation, I actually am co-chair of our uh, BAME network. So actually I've been, I I guess, quite lucky in some situations to have kind of a, uh, you know, people of colour within my organisation to have those kind of conversations with, um, but very aware that that isn't the experience for everyone. Um, and I think when I saw the charity So White hashtag, um, I felt exactly the same. I was kind of like, we've been having these conversations internally um, at my organisation and um, with a small group of us, but actually I didn't realise, you know, everyone's having these conversations and I think it is quite validating. And the experience of so many people of colour um, kind of be put out there for the world stage on Twitter. And um, I think a big part of it was also then sort of coming back into my organisation and having lots of people really... Um, recognised that this was something that was happening and um, again kind of really um, motivated me and built that momentum 
And so similarly, I've been part of the organising committee uh, since October. Also, I think it was about the same time that like round of um, recruitment for the committee. Um, and yeah, just getting really stuck in. I've been quite keen to the skills that I have, but it's also a really great opportunity, I think, to learn new skills and start to do a couple of different things like the admin and like writing blogs or like doing this podcast. Absolutely. And it's really just sparking constructive conversation in what is quite a difficult topic as well and whether it's you as an individual or as a representative of charity so white or just a member of society or the sector really Mm. actually Mm. being able to break down those barriers how would you or how do you face up to the fact that it is a difficult conversation how do you Mm. manage that or steer it or even broach the subject I think for me um I guess you have to like reflect on what the frame is within the sector. I think there are conversations happening. There are um, spaces opening up both like, you know, in um, BAME networks and various other sort of um, color run uh, spaces where we're moving this forward. But I think in the leadership space and in the sort of wider sector space, this sort of um, EDI, equality, diversity, inclusion frame has kind of emerged. and in a lot of places, even the E part, the equality part, seems to just get dropped as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think this is an aspect where you have to just really reflect on what that framework means and try and not to get sucked into some of the traps in it as well. I think it's really important that when we're talking about something, we're talking about something like what happened to Citizens Advice or any other sort of day-to-day racism incident, we talk and about and call it what it is. This is racism. This is institutional racism. We need to be talking yeah. about that in those terminology and I think there is definitely a thing where like sometimes you try and move the needle and you get sucked into that sort of that framework and you end up talking their language and like our message can get diluted act that we're trying to achieve can get lost in that as well um, mm-hmm. I think what we're talking about in Charity So White um, is very much about having open, honest conversations around the broad spectrum of the issue, the sort of really deeply ingrained structures and uh, power dynamics uh, mm-hmm. that reinforce racism and sort of talking about how racism as a wider societal issue is something that the sector is not immune to. And we have to reflect on how these, um, these, this whole sort of thing of institutional racism is happening within our own sector. And are you quite naturally comfortable talking about racism or is this a product of your experience through movements like Charity So White? That's interesting. Um, Yeah, I think it also depends in which space you're doing that. And I think that's been one of the most powerful things about Charity So White, I feel. And I I don't know if you feel the same, John, but like it's actually made me braver to be able to have those conversations and those discussions because there's a whole like network of people of colour, entire movement with a whole strategy um, who are on board and kind of we're all singing from the same hymn sheet, if that makes sense. Um, and I think it is about creating those kind of brave spaces, not just safe ones, to have those conversations um, and really moving that conversation from just being about uh, diversity and inclusion, and um, but actually being to about the power structures, power and privilege, um, and having that opportunity therefore to share your experience rather than having to rely on things like like having to feel like you're this expert in all things race or kind of EDI actually all I need to be an expert is on my lived experience and I know how like the experience that I've had and the experience of so many people you know people of colour um, around me and I think having the opportunity to do that together with the members of uh, Charity So White and the community that we've built on Twitter and mm-hmm. um, definitely gives me more 
confidence in having those conversations, especially with leaders. Yeah, I, I just add on that, like, you know, talking about racism is uncomfortable. And I think mm. particularly earlier in my career, when I was, you know, a more junior member, less confident in my overall sort of professional um, sort of headspace, a bit less woke. <laughs> There's a lot like these frames and this sort of like very leadership language kind of mm. conversations can be really hard to break into. And like, it, it can feel like you're pushing it can feel like if you speak out, um, you're going to jeopardize your career in some yeah. way. There is so much power in building our own networks and our own spaces, building yeah. spaces where we're around other people of color and talking about these things. And, you know, I get so much life from just being in meetings with uh, the rest of the women of color and the Charities of White Committee and being in sort of uh, safe spaces of sort of yeah. people of color. Um, and it's just that sort of, it's how we lift each other up. To be, to be the experts in our own experience, to sure. speak out about what we know, what we've experienced, what we feel, and mm -hmm. to feel like that experience uh, has weight and is relevant, and um, to be able to then link that to the wider, more systemic oppression conversations uh, that we need to have. quite an interesting point that you've highlighted and one that's actually quite scary is that there is a fear in speaking out mm. and it's fantastic as a platform um you know social media in the networks and charity so white is actually intrinsically there is still an individualized fear of speaking out within your organizations mm. when you're not yeah. perhaps around your network or you don't have their physical or immediate backing when there's a point to be made yeah. and i think we've seen that come out even especially in kind of again those conversations that have been and um, had on Twitter and people sharing their experiences um, where actually it's not just a fear, but it's a very real, you know, it's, it's a real fear in the sense that, yeah, people have been in, um, especially in terms of career progression, et cetera, and kind of looked at it as almost like, if you speak out, you're the troublemaker, like it might be, and that's why I think, again, it's so important to remove the conversation from just talking about like representation, for example. So like, yes, there may be um, a person of color within your particular organization, um, but how brave does that person feel or how does that person feel about being able to bring those conversations forward for fear of looking like a troublemaker? So it's like taking that one step and when you um, kind of join and you, you become part of an organisation, often it can feel quite celebrated in that moment. Um, and then later on, it does feel a little bit like as long as I'm not speaking out, then it's okay. Um, so again, yeah, I think that that's probably one of the bigger challenges and I'd echo what John said about having that certainly earlier in my career and when I didn't know the kind of network, the network of all had the network of uh, people of around me. And I think that personal experience is the really key thing for us. I think there is something like speaking out on your own is difficult. It is, uh, it's a really daunting thing to do. There's the whole sort of frame in like, you know, um, around whistleblowing and just generally speaking out is uncomfortable when you're feeling on your own. And I think it comes back to that collective power of um, BAME networks within organizations, uh, movements like Charities of White, or just social media as a whole, being able to plug into other people that have been in the same way. And I think where you, what you've seen with a lot of these uh, sort of um, social media led campaigns and sort of more, uh, I guess, sort of online organizing kind of approaches that we've seen uh, emerging over the last couple of years. These conversations in that can bring that collective power in with them by sort of speaking out and sort of adding your voice to a wider stream of experience, yeah. the personal experiences. It can feel less daunting. It can feel like you're part of a conversation and you're showing the wider problem in society and how the different ways that it emerges rather than just you 
putting mm-hmm. your up there on your own and i suppose that's exactly what charity so white is enabling as well yeah and i just want to like go back to where this started from just to, like going to read out some of the messages that we got in that early mm-hmm. push um that really kicked off the whole campaign i turned one da- one guy down for funding not convinced his org was benefiting all communities equally his response do you know research shows that black people were happier when they were in in, in subordinate positions I once ran the digital and comms part of a program for a charity for four plus years. At an event, a senior rep from a partner of the program assumed that I was the waiter and asked me to bring her drinks twice. When I was promoted to a senior management position, I was offered a salary less than a quarter of my younger, whiter, less experienced predecessor. At criminal justice networking events, when everyone of colour asked uh, when they left prison. Like, these are all examples of uh, whiteness and white privilege in the sector. And these mm-hmm. sort of very real lived experience are coming out but then when they come out within the context of that wider conversation on the structures of oppression present within the sector and wider society as a whole um, Mm -hmm. you can start to break down these barriers and hopefully we're hoping to use that conversation to spark deeper discussions with leadership in the sector um, beyond just you know we need to get more brown people into the sector, into leadership and into that space where we're thinking about how are the structures of our organization reinforcing mm-hmm. unequal power structures and racism? Uh, what, how is working culture and sort of all of these different aspects of the organization reinforcing that? Um, and even down to missions in terms of like uh, white savior um, sort of complex and the way that we represent people of color in our comms all of that needs to come to the conversation and all of that is uh, a part of why uh, there's a lack of diversity in the sector and why people of color in the sector are disempowered as well I was just going to say, like, even, like, I've heard those tweets being, I've read those tweets, and um, I've heard them being read out a few times when we've been kind of together in meetings and discussions, and even still, like, um, I think for so many people, they find it quite shocking, and, you know, it, it's great that they do, because it means that, you know, they're, they're able to listen and, and appreciate that this is real lived experiences. But I think what was interesting when this kind of first set off um, was there were a lot of kind of white people who I had conversations with who were like, you know, this is absolutely shocking and I can't believe this happened. And actually for me, I was a bit the other way around, like, actually this isn't shocking and I think that's the problem um, because this does happen um, and this is the experience of so many people, of color, so many different um, kind of people of colour. Yeah, it relates back to John's point about it being uncomfortable to hear um, but I'm glad that we're, like, these voices are getting out and um, so that those conversations are sparked. There's a really crucial question in there in that how do you engage with people who don't realise or are not aware of the fact that it happens and have not been directly impacted negatively perhaps you know in their own experience? It's difficult um, to be honest I don't think we necessarily have the answer yet I think our approach is really just to try and keep pushing to have those deeper discussions and just um, keep making them understand. I think there is um, a really positive thing in that we've developed our own platform, our own our own voice, our own power in the sector um, to walk into these spaces with leaders as experts in our experience and uh, in that sort of frame. And, and I think so much of the space around these discussions is really led in that sort of EDI framework and, uh, and there's so many consultants and sort of so much expertise in that space that it's about 
getting our foot in the door as people of color, as people who have lived this, who have experienced this, uh, to work with leaders, hopefully, and push them to be more bold. And really, um, the first thing that we're asking for and the real focus for us at the moment is just to get leaders to acknowledge that racism is a thing and in the sector is really that basic. There's so much fear in society around yeah. uh, saying the R word and saying racism and there's so much sort of um, discussion in the media and shock. It's still such racist. a taboo really. Yeah. 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 People are more shocked at being called racist than actually challenging their racism. Um, It's trying to find that constructive difference, um, you know, that separates victimhood and demonising into an actual conversation. Yeah, and I think there's a real absolutely fear from kind of leaders that if they acknowledge um, you know, that structural racism exists, it somehow means that personally they are racist. Um, and that certainly isn't the case. It just means what, what we're asking for is leaders to commit and um, to actually doing more to tackle structural racism. And I guess we all work in the sector, right? And we work in the sector for a reason. Um, and I would imagine um, <laughs> that, you know, kind of the structural racism and inequalities that exist is exactly why we're here. Um, and we should be kind of at the forefront in leading those conversations and more so leading that action um, into actually tackling um, and rooting out racism. Is the campaign hoping to, or, or has it already been giving clear some objectives or KPIs to organisations? We're getting there slowly. Um, we are still quite a slow, a small team. Uh, we're a very young organisation. There's lots. Of, I think at the moment we're in such a reactive space going on. So many press. I think we're just trying to build that stability. Uh, but like I said before, like our, our first sort of real milestone and real sort of aim is just to get leaders to acknowledge um, that um, racism exists in the organisation, acknowledge the structural nature of it and commit to tackling that in some way. And it's really about that public commitment and that public discussion that's really important just to get us away from the space where I think there's like um, this tendency to do this in like behind closed doors and try and package it up in a nice neat little bow so it's announceable and it can be presented to media as this wonderful thing but it's it's so much more complicated than that and when you're exploring these structures that cross over lots of different issues lots of part of the, parts of the organizations the experiences of lots of different people intersectionality comes into it like these things should be tackled in an open and honest way uh, in a really reflective and challenging space uh, mm. and I think having public um, discussions around that is a really important part of it. Um, I think at first we're just trying to uh, push on as many sort of open doors there are out there, meet with uh, leaders um, and we're putting together a list of targets at the moment. Leaders or potentially people of colour from particular organisations have also come to us um, like EDI leaders within organisations, um, yeah, people of colour, maybe they're the only uh, person within their organisation and they want support or a way of kind of knowing how to start having some of these challenging conversations. I think that's also been a really interesting way sort of in, um, in terms of getting leaders to, to make that acknowledgement. I guess a little bit of an overview as well of some of the things that we've been up to since its launch. So I think John's explained that our first ask is obviously getting leaders to publicly acknowledge structural racism. And um, kind of how we've gone about that is by having meetings with leaders and kind of those one-to-one -one discussions where possible. 
but also I think kind of media engagement, like being able to speak on, like have platforms to speak on and, and really get that message out and make sure that the conversation doesn't lose that momentum has been really key for us. And we are, but is it nine, John, in the committee? Yeah, we're about nine at the moment. We're about nine. Um, so yeah, trying to get around to all those meetings and um, kind of media engagements definitely can be tricky sometimes. And obviously doing this um, as well as our day job, but certainly committed uh, to be able to do that. So we've been kind of really working on a strategy and, and we kind of were focusing on making sure that we had input from people of colour and to really start thinking about how exactly we're going to go about tackling that. And as John said, one of the first things is uh, putting together our list of targets. But um, some things around that kind of also ensuring that the experiences and stories um, of people of colour are continuously shared, recorded and accessible continuing to create that space for people to continue to share their experience of racism in the sector as well. It's been something that we've been clear on doing. Um, and then again, kind of defining those clear goals for the campaign that I think will drive us towards having those more constructive and open and brave conversations. And do you think your reaction from others across the spectrum, whether it's um, other people of colour, people in different roles across the sector, do you think there's often a really clear concept or idea of what racism is? Or do you think it's only, the nuances are only known by people who have directly experienced it? I think for the most part that that, like, that is one of the challenges is that we, mm. um, there, there is a really unclear picture in sort of generally in people's minds of what racism actually is. And I think part of that comes down to um, just how toxic uh, a term uh, racism has, come, um, has become in some spaces and in the media space and a lot of the discussion around it. And it's really unhelpful. So there, there is an element where we have to play quite an educational role in sort of spelling out the structural elements of that, uh, talking about um, how power structures and dynamics and privilege and all of these things can uh, create a situation where people of color in an organization um, don't have the power and authority to speak out on these things, how professional qualities that um, charities value and sort of uh, promote in terms of like uh, career progression and, uh, and the works uh, can be quite white coded and um, exclusive uh, for people of other backgrounds and sort of and um, you know how all of these things contribute to the situation where the sector finds itself in and you know there is we could talk about data we could talk about um, all the stats out there in terms of like how white sector is in itself but I think that's only a small part of the story and it's and it's an angle that um, isn't for us uh, it has its place um, and I think we need to pull it back to uh, experience how it impacts people, how it impacts people of colour within our organisations and how it prevents um, diverse communities from reaching out and um, being included in part of our work. There is an upward struggle and I think there is such a job in terms of just detoxifying conversations around racism in general. And for us, the sector should be a leading voice within that. There's so much in our work that is outward facing and is, is about changing cultures and society um, mm -hmm. that we should start by just reflecting on our own culture and how um, the sector could stand to, um, to change in terms of getting better on this. And we should be quite vocal about that to start, um, to start plugging away at that toxic term and st start making it easier for wider and more open conversations around racism and uh, structures of oppression to emerge. I think there's a very kind of um, one, like there's very much one view of what racism is for many people um, and often it's about kind of, you know, I haven't said something racist or I haven't called somebody 
something racist within the, you know, on the street, so therefore I'm not. Um, and actually one of the things that we talk about um, as part of Charity So White um, is the four eyes of oppression. Um, and it's a really kind of good way of framing how we start having those conversations about racism and not necessarily if racism exists in organizations, but it's actually about framing it in more so of how it can exist and, and what that might look like. So the eyes of oppression kind of focus on ideological, uh, institutional, interpersonal, and internalized racism. So really getting people to break it down and think about things like John was saying, kind of microaggressions and how that racism, structural or not, may manifest and what that might look like in day to day. So I think you're right in the sense that it, it is a bit of an education piece. But I think one of the things we're also keen on is, you know, encouraging leaders to also do some of the work themselves to challenge their own bias. Are you guys sort of engaging, working with, or even challenging um, leaders and decision makers? I mean, at the moment, it's very much a case by case basis. And uh, as Camille said earlier, um, you know, we're starting off by just working with the leaders that have approached us uh, and sort of uh, really taking a one to one approach um, and also just reflecting on how we want to frame these discussions. I think there is a tendency where, like, when it when a leader or an organization wants to engage with us oh look at all the things we've done on ed and i you know we take this seriously and we're very conscious that we kind of want to move away from just another badge to put on the website another yeah. sort of program uh, that says look at look we're not racist these guys say so and <laughs> into those deeper discussions. So so I think our approach to one-to-ones is just to hear out leaders in terms of like where they're coming from, where their starting point is, what their perceptions is around racism. I think we want to be a, a sort of a challenging friend, a critical friend uh, to leaders. We want to ask difficult questions. We want to uh, challenge them to look at the structures of oppression that exist within their organization and to really mm-hmm. think about how uh, they go about tackling that. I think a good case study is like we, we kicked off, um, we've been working with Carl Whitley. Uh, from NCBO um, it's been an interesting journey just because like so our first meeting we had we hashed out this whole conversation in terms of our approach what um, where we're coming from what we want them to change but I think one of the early things that we've done um, I think particularly within those meetings but I think something we want to take more broadly as we meet more leaders is to be public about these things Mm -hmm. to stop these conversations happening behind closed doors so we wrote a blog um that was sort of like um just showing like this is the this is broadly what we discussed in this meeting with carlin and cbo um and it was published and kind of in the second meeting we got the sort of feedback sort of like oh we weren't expecting that and there's a sort of like the side of the charity uh that sort of wants to try and control that messaging and try and sort of influence that sort of how this goes out and we kind of took that power away in some way but i think what was really interesting is just hearing Carl talk about um, the kind of responses that he got and this is in the the blog and the write-up for our second meeting that we had with them Um, but there there seemed to be some sort of tone of like people thinking oh it's great that you met Charity So White uh, in terms of other leaders and sort of uh, a level of unexpectedness in sort of not quite thinking that this is something that um, NCBO would do and some interest in that so like oh you met Charity So White how did that go kind of thing but also some resistance as well in terms of engaging with us um, and sort of having these conversations so I think 
it is going to take a long time for us to plug away and try and open those doors and meet more leaders and have that pull the sector into that more reflective space where we're looking at. Mm. And what are your sort of recommendations for leaders who do come forward and say, I need to have another look at this, I need to review what we're doing, how we're talking, how we're behaving, our strategy, making sure everything is reflected and representative? So at the moment, sort of our, our sort of key three things in terms like this is really our mission um as it stands um so we want we want to spark candid and honest conversations about racism in the sector and as a, a lot of that will come down to the meetings that we have with leaders uh, and sort of exploring these things but we also want them to have these conversations within their organizations and really reflect and engage all staff in uh, these conversations and sort of be quite open about them and off the back of that we want leaders to, to publicly acknowledge racism in the sector and in their organizations and be really open about that um, to uh, go public as a way of seeking accountability on um, changing that situation and challenging and uh, transforming their cultures and structures. Mm -hmm. And uh, we want leaders to commit to tackling institutional racism in their organisations and in the sector. And, you know, that's going to be a hard thing to monitor and sort of keep track of. And every organisation will go through its own journey in terms of how it goes about doing that. But I think there's a really important point for us in terms of having these discussions openly and publicly and not waiting for the end result and the end product in terms of what needs to be done, but just going through that journey together and using their power and their positions and their influence over other leaders to encourage and invite others into having those conversations themselves and you know reinforcing that like you know it's okay you won't uh, get cancelled if you say the r word yeah i'm um, totally i think yeah john's kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of what we're asking for at the moment but i think there's a real recognition as well from us in order to do those things that john's talking about there needs to be an understanding or recognition that work has to be prioritized easy enough to say you know that oh you know we really want to do things and, and tackle racism but you know unfortunately we don't have the resources uh, to be able to do that or there isn't the data um, to be able to tell us what's going on we need to do a little bit more research as many of us probably know within the sector you know resources are scarce in so many different ways um, but if this is something that we're truly committing to in terms of improving the sector, a sector that we all love and care about, like we're not trying to burn it down, we want to be able to work together with the sector to make it better. Um, I think really getting leaders not only to commit to tackling um, racism or acknowledging that it exists, but prioritising that work within their organisations um, and investing in that. Um, we all know that it takes money too. <laughs> so having that kind of prioritisation and investment I think it really shows that commitment more than anything else. Yeah, and just on that point as well, it's also about making sure that when they're prioritising that work, that it's not just in the space of, you know, we're adding an EDI manager or we're sort of mm. putting resource in this one place, which is really valuable and important, mm. but also really investing and building the spaces and allowing yeah. the time for discussions across the organisation in various yeah. different formats of, of groupings and just being quite you know we're talking about transforming cultures and practices mm. organization. The, the biggest thing a leader can do is just really uh, creating that space and encouraging staff to be a part mm. of that discussion and uh, supporters members uh, various yeah. like all aspects of the organization should be involved in that conversation yeah it's you know it's not going to be easy and i think we recognize that and it can't be seen as a token <laughs> And I think that leads me on to my next question is how do we make sure that activity is authentic, it's not lip service, 
and that change is actually embedded within these organizations and is not just led by the current leader at that time and comes and goes with them that's a very good question and um our answer at this point would be like as we're quite young is just to really send a strong message to the sector that we're here to stay we are working hard on building our capacity and longevity and making sure that the uh, what we started is has a life beyond any one of us in the committee and that we're building the structures to keep holding the sector to account over a very long period of time and i think that's a really important like particularly early on in the campaign let's meet with them because this is a big topical thing now and it's starting a conversation it could be good to engage or it, or it might be framed in a sort of positive PR type of space you know it change takes a very long time and I think uh, the more the sector is aware that like we will always be there and we will be watching you and we will be looking at how you're progressing and we will be hoping to work with you in partnership on uh, holding you to account and being that critical friend. The biggest part of that is ensuring that we're still around in six months uh, or six years from now. Have you um, had any really good learnings or really excellent examples of other organisations or individuals who are really implementing change now? And I guess that's a relative scale as well. Obviously the job yeah. is not going to be done and potentially for the foreseeable future it won't be achieved yet. A lot of the key successes early on is really just around that acknowledgement of racism yeah. and uh, the partnerships that we're forming. Um, so uh, Peter from uh, um, Institute of Fundraising um, tweeted out, um, I think, I can't remember when, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, just acknowledging um, racism in the sector and sort of really meeting our calls and talking about that structural depression aspect of it. And it's just, it can seem like a small thing, but just having a leader... Um, publicly talk about this on uh, on their own Twitter and sort of ha uh, be a part of this discussion is important and uh, we're hoping to continue working with them and engaging with them in terms of building that deeper discussion over a long period of time and uh, NCVO um, yeah. just uh, recently put out um, some blogs uh, really detailing the progress and the sort of journey that they're going on on equality and diversity and in that sort of um, just having in writing on like a, a website for someone like the NCBO, um, just really going into the like the structures of oppression that exist and sort of really looking at them, reflecting on that within their own organization is really powerful. It's a huge win. And especially with um, sort of NCBO as a member organization and hoping mm. uh, that that translates to uh, similar conversations and deeper change across um, organizations that are members of NCBO. Um, but also I'd like to highlight just like the community we've built on social yeah. media and That's the social say, yeah. that's still happening within the charity so white hashtag and mm -hmm. that we've kind of given a label or a little space online uh, for people to talk about this and feel like they're being heard hopefully. I think like a lot of those conversations with other leaders um, are still yet to happen uh, again like we're open to talking to them um, all happening and um, I know that we have done um, a couple of like different workshops with some organizations as well start asking themselves some questions you know what is the makeup of our leadership team what experiences are shaping kind of the world views um, and how I think ultimately this impacts the people who rely on our services um, and getting people even just to start having those questions definitely feels like part of the way but again that public acknowledgement I think is where yeah we'd still have to get to. And I suppose for some people, it's really obvious why it's so important to tackle mm. any form of racism. With your charity So White 
hat on, can you crystallise why it's such a crucial thing that needs to happen sooner rather than later? The sector doesn't exist in a vacuum and looking at what is happening and the overall conversation that's happening um, in, um, in the media, in society as a whole, you're seeing, I think, more outward and brazen uh, sort of racist comments emerge and the normalisation of racist rhetoric in a lot of ways being a lot of examples in the media of sort of racist uh, rhetoric and sort of framing uh, coming to the forefront. Um, you, you're looking at situations where, uh, you know, the BBC and other media outlets are struggling to tell black women apart uh, in various situations. I think, you know, you, you see the rising hate crime um, and uh, the Islamophobia and all of these other forms of oppression and racism happening in the in society as a whole. And the sector is a part of that, particularly where so much of our mission and our day to day and our work and really the core values of our organisations is uh, really rooted in changing society, uh, mm -hmm. in changing cultures and changing approach on the particular areas that we work in. I think because of all of those things, the sector needs should be at the forefront of that fight back against uh, this sort of uh, rising and surge in racist rhetoric um, and sort of being supportive and working with communities of colour in terms of fighting that. And that can only be done in a genuine way if the sector can uh, take a look at itself and look at how these various systems of oppression exist within their structures, exist within their um, within their causes, within their missions, uh, mm. to look at how uh, the sort of uh, colonial colonialism and the sort of the history and, uh, and weight of all of that uh, impacts things like um, the development sector. Um, how uh, white saviour narratives um, uh, are sort of um, all of these sort of deeply rooted uh, situations are helping reinforce these bigger societal sort of structures that um, reinforce racism, mm -hmm. uh, start to tackle and change that situation within their own organisation so that they can work mm -hmm. um, on changing that in society. And the only thing I was going to add is just even with the rise of austerity, um, it's evident that more people of colour are going to need support from the from our organisations that and you know it's what we exist to to provide and and really rely on our services and and actually the more alienated they become from those conversations i think the less well we'll be able to serve communities and so what's next for your campaign thinking about our strategy and our approach um, we are recruiting again uh, for people to join the committee and we're going to start uh, doing that more often uh, to kind of continue to build capacity um, we're looking at how uh, we establish ourselves as an organization as a group uh, that exists for a while and so much of it is just looking at potential of like um, and really reflecting on what we where we want to be in six months uh, to a year or even further down the line and uh, sort of trying to meet with more leaders, trying to have more conversations, uh, trying to look at um, where we can partner with organisations in terms of like doing workshops and some other engagements in order to yeah. further um, internal discussions on uh, structural oppression. But who knows? Um, it's, it's all very exciting and we could, um, yeah, there's lots we want to do and we need more capacity to do it. And um, if anyone does want to get involved or support or help in any way, um, what information yeah. do you have for them? So at the moment, the main offer we have is to join the committee and um, this can be 
um, that can be a big time drain. But if you are interested in that, email us at um, charitysowhite uh, at uh, gmail.com uh, and uh, we can talk about that. Uh, to follow the conversation as well, um, Charity So White on Twitter, it's where it all began. Um, and yeah, I think we're staying true to our roots with um, social media, but I think it's, yeah, it's a great space to be able to mobilise and, and have those discussions and conversations. And we've been able to turn a lot of them from being just on social media into real kind of offline conversations as well, which important so yeah anyone else um in terms of leaders or decision makers or anyone really who's interested in seeing what change or difference they can make within their organization as well or that just needs a bit of support what advice would you have for them biggest advice is just you know have these conversations they will be uncomfortable it will be Mm -hmm. difficult um you know um but it's so important to push through and have them like looking at your own power and privilege and reflecting yeah. on that. It's always a difficult thing to do. But the first step is just really being open and honest and really brave in having these discussions and really reflecting on the structures of oppression present within your organization. But we'd also say, you know, come meet with us, talk to us, yeah. get in touch with us. Um, the door is always open. We're doing, as I said, like lots of media engagement to try and make sure that it's still on the radar. Um, and I guess it's also an opportunity for people who are interested to hear more about the campaign, um, as well as listening to something like this podcast. Um, but, you know, just again, following us on Twitter, you can find out a lot more about them. Um, so I know we'll be speaking in two weeks' time. In fact, I will at the Akiva Lords. Oh, sorry, Akiva launch of Make Diversity Count research that they've been doing. I think the tickets um, are hotly selling out, um, but it is also going to be live streamed. So I think it's a, yeah, opportunities kind of, um, if you are able to, to attend, um, to leaders, <laughs> um, and kind of hear our thoughts, um, and yeah, hear the things that we've been talking about today, really, and, and how we can get involved even further. <laughs> so I've noticed you've worked with, or have been working with a lot of other organisations and um, sort of IOF as well. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and what we might be seeing on the horizon as well? We're just hoping to like be partners in pushing them to have more honest conversations and reflection. And um, a lot of this just comes down to how brave organisations will be in terms of having those um, you know, recognizing uh, institutional oppression in their organizations, being public about it. Um, and I think every organization will have a different uh, path to go on. But it's um, mm. we're all really looking forward to see um, how uh, this materializes into real systemic sure. change in organizations. Yeah. What's the vision in a year's time, I suppose? I'd say um, that I think it's really getting leadership teams across the sector to prioritize that critical reflection. Um, and really kind of positioning ourselves as a sector as being the leaders um, and being at the forefront um, of rooting out racism and structural racism specifically, I'd say would be, at the moment it feels like it sounds so radical. I think that's the thing. Um, And maybe a year's not enough. Maybe I'm talking maybe a couple of years times because probably work now. But yeah, it seems like something that sounds really radical and for that to be kind of more um, embedded and a part of the conversations and and just what exists within the organization. I think my hope is just that um, in a year's time, uh, we are working with a number of different organizations across Mm. the sector on having those deep discussions um, and looking beyond just at like embedding ways and systems for them to uh, 
as leaders educate themselves on how uh, oppression uh, occurs and sort of different ways of looking at it and really having those deeper analyses through the four eyes of oppression and looking at ideological factors and institutions mm. and all of these different aspects of it uh, and really pushing them to learn um, about these things themselves and have a process in which um, they educate themselves so they can have, make better decisions. And ultimately mm. in a more long-term uh, sort of forward-looking perspective, um, it's about charities diversifying um, their leadership, their boards, yeah. um, their staff base. Uh, and that isn't just to have more representation and sort of better uh, reflect uh, British society as a whole, but it's also just about bringing in diversity of thoughts, challenging our ways of looking at things, our ways of analysing things, our solutions that enable us to be more creative and braver about our approaches. Um, and I mean, there's stats, all sorts of stats out there around, I think some like 95% of charity trustees uh, are white, 93% uh, of charity CEOs are white. Um, and having uh, brown people in those positions uh, won't uh, change, uh, won't be the silver bullet that fixes everything. But I think it's about um, how leaders uh, can critically reflect on all of the different structures that are present within their organizations and mm -hmm. educate themselves about uh, how to tackle it and just be really uh, open about how they do so. Um, but we, uh, a lot of our, the organizing committee are involved with um, another part called uh, People of Colour Impact. Um, and basically it's a community kind of recognizing, connecting and supporting people of colour who work in the social impact sector. And um, so I definitely encourage also not only for people of colour within um, the sector to kind of engage with charities so white on our social media, et cetera, um, but also looking for that kind of brave space to join uh, the people of colour, person of colour impact uh, community. Um, you can join kind of newsletter, the Facebook group, um, but also kind of on Twitter as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Camille and John. Um, really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks. A big thank you there to Jonathan Conejo and Camille Saint-Omer Donaldson for contributing to this episode of Charity Chats. And thank you also for all that they and their committee are doing to raise the profile of and action against institutional racism in the charity sector. Jonathan and Camille talked with Vicky about the four eyes of oppression, ideological, institutional, interpersonal and internalised racism and what these might look like in our day-to-day -day. and of course recommendations for leaders and calling on them to join the conversation and help make meaningful change to make our sector much much better in tackling institutional racism. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of Charity Chat. We will certainly continue to follow the great work of the Charity So White campaign and hope to speak to Jonathan, Camille and other organisers in the future. If you'd like to get in touch with us about this programme or have any suggested guests, topics or feedback, please do get in touch through Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn or our website, charitychat.org.uk. It's just left for me to thank you, dear listener, for listening to this show and thank you to all of you who are feeding back to us so regularly, both praise and constructive feedback, which we're taking on board to try and make this even better. And also a big thank you to our corporate sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Axmit for the beautiful website design, 
check it out at charitychat.org.uk. RR Yard Photography, beautiful photos, pro bono on our website. And Forest of Fools, who've been playing throughout the show and are playing us out right now. That's it from us. Thanks for listening. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Thank you.